Hey, I am one of those individuals who thinks that uh, November is for Thanksgiving and December is for Christmas because if you get to Christmas too quick, you'll hurt Thanksgiving's feelings. And I kind of broke my own rule last week because we started the Advent series last week, but my calendar says December 6th today, so we are all good to go. Uh, we're in part two of this series, Four Thoughts That Can Change the World. We're talking about what it looks like for us to celebrate Christmas with Jesus in the center of it, the story of Jesus, the Christmas story in the middle of it. Last week, we talked about worshiping fully. How have you worshiped this week? How was your worship this week, right? Because we, we talked, it's not just about what happens on Sunday morning for an hour. It's about how we live our entire lives. So I hope you worship well this week, um, especially not, not just this week and not just this season, but, but for our, our entire lives, what does it look like for us to worship well, right? So uh, worship fully was, was the first thought that can change the world. We're going to take uh, the next step this week. Um, and I got to be honest with you, this is, um, this is my least favorite thought out of all of the thoughts that we're going to talk about. Um, I, I don't like how it makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, I, don't, I don't like the implications of this for my own life if I actually apply it to my life. I just, it's, it's my least favorite thought out of all four of them, but it's also what I believe to be the most important one, specifically because of the culture in which you and I live. Um, this teaching, this thought, this idea is not transferable to other cultures like it is in, in our own culture. So I'm going to try and make the, you know, have some fun with this while we're a little bit offended, which is a hard duo um, to, to pull off. But I'm going to try, and we'll, we're going to see where this thing goes. And we're going to end in a little bit of a different way. Um, it's, a, it's maybe a surprising way. Um, so hang with me all the way to the end, and um, we'll, we'll get to that. But I want to start by showing you how this thought that we're going to talk about today isn't just theoretical. It's not just kind of pie in the sky out there. It's actually a part of the story. When, when, you, when you dig into the narrative, not, not the narrative um, that, that, that our culture talks about Christmas, but the actual Christmas narrative from the Gospels, when you really start looking at it, this is one of the things that you, you find in the Christmas story, that, that the Christmas story is not all cinnamon and snuggles, Right? There's, there's, some, there's some danger to it. There's some rebelliousness in it when you, when you really look at the story. And the two characters at the center of the story um, probably have the, the most rebellious streak in them out of all of the teenage girl. That's at the very center of it's probably the most rebellious. Now, we think of Mary as kind of this meek and, and mild person, and she's definitely that. But she's also pretty spunky. She's also pretty subversive. I mean, some of the things that she says in her day could get you killed. And we kind of we skip over those parts. We kind of miss those parts. Uh, but that's, that's what I want to show you today. So let me show you what I mean. If you've got a Bible or a mobile device, and I hope you do, I'd like for you to find Luke chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke is the third gospel in the, in the New Testament. We're going to pick up um, right after Mary, this, this teenage girl, 14, 15 maybe, uh, finds out she's pregnant in the most miraculous way. The problem is nobody really believes her. 
Nobody, nobody really believes her. And so to, to escape the harsh stares and whispery gossip of her small town of Nazareth, Mary takes an 80-mile trek down to the hill country around Bethlehem um, to meet her cousin Elizabeth, who's dealing with her own unexpected pregnancy. And, and she gets to Elizabeth's house. She's barely through the door. And here's Elizabeth's exclamation, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord, she calls this baby her Lord. Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So a couple things here. God has clued Elizabeth in, right? A miracle has happened. Messiah is coming and, and Mary is carrying him in her womb. And, and when Mary hears those words, I don't know this, but I wonder if she went, finally, <laughs> finally, somebody believes my miracle. Finally, somebody believes that God has actually done this. I, I know it's outlandish. I know it's way, way out there. But finally, somebody believes this. And she's so grateful. She just cuts loose. You've already heard it. Hear it again. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." Many of you know this as Mary's song. Um, she may have said it. She may have sung it. We don't know. Um, but some of you recognize it by its more formal name. It's just the, the, the first Latin word at the beginning. This is the, the, the Magnificat, right? It's the more formal name of this. It simply means to magnify or to tell the greatness of. That's exactly what Mary's doing here. She's telling the greatness of God. And it's this it's, it's really, it's this deep, amazing, honestly, it seems really mature for a teenager to come up with all of this. So, so one of the questions I think you should ask, I think we should ask is, how does a teenage girl come up with this? Like, did she have a ghost writer? Did, did Luke come up with this after the fact? Uh, well, well, first of all, many of the phrases and the concepts she uses reaches back to, to what we call the Old Testament. But to her, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures was all she had. That, 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 those were her scriptures. And because of her upbringing, because of her Jewish formal education, she would have memorized chunks of the Hebrew scriptures. And that's where a lot of this is coming from. And besides that, Luke doesn't say that she improvised this. This is not like a rap battle between Elizabeth and Mary. It's not like, wow, Elizabeth, that was fresh. Let me hit you with one, right? That's not what's going on here. It's not improvised. Remember um, the 80-mile trek from Nazareth down to the hill country. She was more than likely a part of a caravan where maybe she rode on an animal. Maybe she walked the whole way. We don't know. But, but either way, this took her days. 
to get to, get to Elizabeth's house. And so just, just picture this young teenage girl trying to make sense of everything that's happened to her. She knows, she knows the Old Testament prophecies. She, she, she's had this visit from an angel. Um, she knows she's pregnant. And she starts, maybe she starts humming a tune, I don't know. But she, she puts all of this together. And when she gets to Elizabeth's house and see how excited she is, she, it, just, it just comes out of her. It's a little easier to see how that might happen when you put all of that together. But I want to show you just how dangerous and rebellious um, the, that, that part of what Mary is saying here. And it's, it's honestly, it's, it's not that different from today because as best as I can tell, teenagers have always expressed their rebellion through songs, right? All, all the way from um, The Who, um, The Grateful Dead, uh, Twisted Sister, We're Not Gonna Take It Anymore, uh, David Bowie, Madonna, there's Metallica, ACDC, The Coasters. Anybody remember them? Yakety Yak, Don't Talk Back. That's who sang that song. And there were people at the time when they wrote that song that were very offended by that song because it's a song about teenagers talking back to their parents. And then, and then, I mean, everybody remembers the, the Columbus Day Riot. 35,000 people converging on a theater that could only hold 3,000. The police had to come in and, and, and pull people away. It was a tough day. You guys remember this? I don't either because it happened in 1944. It was a Frank Sinatra concert. So, so don't give me this teenagers today talk because this has always been a part of how teenagers have expressed their rebellion. And that's, I think this teenage girl is, is expressing some rebellion here. Look at it again. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about this, this revolution that Mary's talking about throughout the series, but in, in, in 1980, the government of Guatemala outlawed the public reading of the Magnificat because they were afraid if, if people on the margins of society, people with less resources, people with, who, who are forgotten, people who are poor, people who are the least of these, if they started hearing some of the things that Mary said about God, and what he has done for the humble, what he has done for the hungry, it might start a revolution. <laughs> and the funny thing is, they were right. They were right. This little boy started a revolution. And what, what Mary's words, her, her, her words about her little boy overthrowing rulers and tyrants, um, the, the day um, that is coming when his kingdom will be in charge of everything, she's saying all of that in past tense, as if it's a done deal, which is, it's, it's just so subversive and rebellious. Because when she talks about tyrants and kings and rulers, she has someone in mind. And I don't, again, I don't know this. But I wonder, I wonder if she's thinking about Herod. That, that would be the ruler. 
of her time. Herod the Great. Herod was the king of the empire of more. He was the king of the empire. More money, more taxes, um, more, uh, more building projects in his name, more tyranny, more prestige. He was, he was a ruler who gave gifts to, to people above him politically as long as they were willing to give him bigger gifts back. He was, he was a great leader. He was a, he was a great politician. But he, he, was, he was a terrible, terrible, ruthless person. He was all about the kingdom of more. And so when Mary says God has brought down rulers, I think she has someone in mind. I think she's thinking of somebody. Mary's saying there's a kingdom breaking forth, and it's not about more. It's not about Herod. It's not about Caesar or any other leader. It's about this little baby boy she is carrying. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that hasn't changed. Jesus is still king. When we talk about following Jesus, we're not talking about um, you know, relying on religious habits. We're not talking about um, our ability mentally to figure him out. When we talk about following Jesus, we're, we're talking about submitting to him as king of our everyday life because Jesus is still leading a revolution. He's still leading this kingdom against the empire of more. He's still pushing back. And this is, I know this is where some of you get a little nervous. So let me be very clear from the very beginning. I am not getting ready to lecture you about your gift giving. Okay, that is not where we're going. I'm not gonna pontificate on the ills of modern America. That's not where I'm going. All I'm doing all I'm asking is for you to prayerfully consider what you're expecting of your gift giving. What are you expecting of your gift receiving? That's really the point of this. And some of you know where we're going because you've been around Grace Point for a while. You know this a little bit. Some of you are a little bit newer. And if you're new, I just want you to please hear that we are not anti-gift giving. We're not going to ho-ho humbug this thing into the ground. That's not what this is. And, and it's not like you need permission from me, but it is okay to give gifts at Christmas. I mean, goodness gracious, it's right there in the story. It's built into the story. So we're going to talk about that next week. But can we also admit or can we also open our, our, our hearts and our minds a little bit to the idea that there is another kingdom vying for our allegiance, vying for our uh, attention, that there's another kingdom at play here? Is it possible that, that we're torn, that we're pulled in between two different kingdoms, and if we're not crazy, we might get sucked into some of the craziness of it, especially at this time of year. It's, it's a crazy thought. It's subversive. It's maybe rebellious. Maybe it's even a little dangerous. I don't know. But, but the thought that can still change the world for this week is spend less. Spend less. Less. We're not saying spend nothing. We're saying spend less. I mean, just practically speaking, like if your kid wants the bike 
and you find the bike on some Black Friday deal and you get 40% off of it and it's the same one, it's the same thing and, and you could save money by getting that. Is there something wrong with that? Absolutely not. No, that, that's, we're not the gift police. If it makes sense and you save money, if it's, hey, here's an idea. If it's in your gift budget for this year, it's a great idea. If, if, if that stuff is, is all good, go for it. Go for it. But, if you're expecting that gift, if you're expecting that gift giving to bring purpose and meaning and contentment, oh, I, think, I think we need to back up. I think we need to think through our gift giving. And, and here's the interesting thing. We've done this enough times. We've done this throughout the years. And, and the feedback I've gotten on this over the years, the, the spend less piece. Um, the positive feedback is usually from those who I would consider to be younger because they're, they're all about a little rebellion. They're all about sticking it to the man a little bit, right? And I have to remind them that that's the wrong attitude too. And, 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 and then I have those who they aren't quite as young. Let's just say it that way. They're a little bit further down the road that will say to me, Tim, I'm, I'm too old to change some things here. It's, it's too much of a risk for me that I have too much to lose, to which my response to that is, you're never too old to change. And for whatever you think you're going to lose, can I show you what you might gain? Because, because I, I've heard people say, you know what, I don't want to lose my status as the cool grandpa. I don't want to lose my status as the funkle. That's a fun uncle, right? We don't, we don't want to lose, we want to lose our status because I, I love to be able to give my gifts, to give these gifts to my grandkids, the stuff that I didn't have, the things, the experiences that I didn't get. And I, I love the honesty of that. I really do. And, and I'll just say this. There's, there's a little bit of a risk for us as a church today as opposed to 10 years ago when we started this. It's much more risky for us to do this today than it was 10 years ago. It's way more risky for us to do this today in light of all the stuff that's going on than any other year. So I understand that tension. I think I understand that tension better than I ever have. I understand the tension of, of I don't want to lose something here, and it's risky, but I just, I just want to point you to the idea that there's more to be gained, and I think it's worth it's worth the risk. So there's a, a research firm called SJ Insights that found on an average day, an average day, if you factor out all of the, um, the, the brand exposure, which is when you're walking down the street and you see the Nike swoosh on somebody's jacket, that's brand exposure. And in America, we're exposed to anywhere between five and 10,000 brands. So you factor all of that out, um, we will be exposed to 362 ads per day. That's, that's email, that's, that's Facebook, that's TV, radio. Somebody said if you put all of those together, condense them and put them back to back to back to back, that is two straight hours of ads every single day of your life. Two hours, not just at Christmas time, all year long, two hours of ads. Can, can I ask, what are those ads saying to us? 
And listen, I am not against marketing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not against the, those of you who are in marketing and sales and all. I'm not against that. I'm just trying to get us to think, what are those ads saying to us, especially at this time of year? It's, it's like, if you buy this one thing for her, for him, for you, for all mankind, you'll be satisfied. This will be the best Christmas ever. You'll be satisfied, right? That's the message. And their message works. Worldwide, this year, a trillion dollars will be spent on Christmas. Trillion with a T. A trillion dollars will be spent just on Christmas. I have no idea how much of that is on credit, but I saw one article on CNBC that said one in three Americans is carrying debt from last Christmas into this Christmas. And and I'm not trying to shame you. I think I'm trying to show you there's a better way. Because I don't think Jesus would say to you, please celebrate my birthday by going deeper in the hole. I don't think that's his message. I think think he actually has something better for us than that. And I know there are others on the other side that would say, I'm not in debt, Tim. I'm not going to buy this on credit. I've got the the means to do this. I want to spoil my kids. I want to spoil my grandkids. I want to give them everything I didn't have. I get that. I understand that. But, and and think about your answer before before you give it, okay? But can you ever give a child too much? Is that, is that possible? Another way to ask the question, what are we teaching our kids in our gift giving? Well, that we love them, Tim. Duh. Right? Well, okay. The best way to express love is through the giving and receiving of lots and lots of gifts. And I don't think anybody would say that. I'll point you to one of America's foremost theologians and leaders, Michael Scott. Here's what he says. He says, presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It's like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey, man, I love you this many dollars worth. (laughs) Oh, man. For those of you who don't know, Michael Scott's one of the most lovable buffoons in American TV history. And I know I, like, I know it's more difficult than that. It's way more complicated than that. But here's, here, here's the point in, in, in what, what, what I'm trying to get at. What are we teaching our kids about the story, about Jesus, about worshiping fully and all the gift giving? Because I'm, I'm, I'm one of those, I love surprising my kids with the gift that they really, 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 really want. But even if you, if you back up into the story, there's this moment where Joseph is warned in a dream to get his wife and little boy out of Herod's reach because this king wants to destroy them. And I'm not trying to be overly dramatic here. I don't think I'm reading too much into it. But maybe we need to pay attention to how the empire of more is trying to rule over and destroy our kids. Because what what does it look like? Whatever happens when our kids grow up and discover the lie that many of us have discovered, that more doesn't satisfy. It just creates a desire for, for more. In fact, in, in 1957, Kathleen, Kathleen Montague discovered a neurotransmitter known as dopamine. 
and dopamine. At, at first, um, they thought that it was, it was the molecule of pleasure, but it turns out there's a better way to describe it. Two authors named their book after it, and when they did their research, it's, it's better known as the, the molecule of more. Because dopamine triggers this buzz, this, this rush, um, but it isn't about uh, having something. It's about getting. It's about, it's about the anticipation of, ooh, I could have that. Or, ooh, this might happen. Okay, this is, um, this is one of the reasons why casinos are designed the way they are. If you look at the floor plan for casinos, for modern casinos, 80% of the floor plan is dedicated to their moneymaker, the one that keeps the lights on, the one that keeps the owner's pockets full of money. 80% of the floor is dedicated to slot machines because people walk by and there's a little hit of dopamine, maybe this time. Maybe this time. Maybe, well, maybe next time. Papa needs a new pair of shoes, right? Maybe next time. Maybe next time. It's not about having. It's about the anticipation of getting. Here's, here's how the authors put it. It says, from dopamine's perspective, having things is uninteresting. It's only getting things that matters. That, that floored me when I read that. That the lie of dopamine is that there's a thrill, but it doesn't last. It, it triggers something, but then it's gone. It's like, oh, that's okay, but there's more. That's okay, but there's more. That's okay, but there's more. You've had four pieces of pecan pie. How about a fifth? Put some gravy on it. Maybe some mashed potatoes. Who cares, right? It's this, it's this, there's more, there's more, there's more, there's more. And now, like we're not just talking about Christmas, right? Now we're talking about contentment. Now we're talking about being okay with what we have instead of always wanting, wanting more. He's like, wait, Tim, Tim, hold on. Did you, did you just turn Christmas morning into a chemical reaction? No, that is, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's more at play than we often think about. There's more at play that sometimes I think we get, we get sucked into because the empire of more calls for our allegiance more than we think. And so how do you rebel? How do you push back? I think you spend less. And in spending less, maybe enjoy more. But we're going to have to be mindful and, and, and attentional about that. It's not just about resisting things that we want. Even if they're good things, the things that we don't have, that's, that's all good. It's also learning to enjoy what we already have, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul didn't know anything about dopamine, but what did he write to the, the Philippians? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You and I can learn to do this. We can, even, even in the struggle, even in struggling to do it, we can learn how to do that. Just personally, like I'm in a season where I'm struggling to be content. And it has nothing to do with Christmas, has nothing to do with gift giving. I'm just, it, it, it's just, a, it, it's almost a constant struggle to just be content. And the easiest thing, I don't know about you, but the easiest thing for me to do when I struggle is to point to your stuff so I don't have to deal with my stuff, Right? is to point to, to, the, to the struggle in you instead of dealing with the struggle in me. It's like, oh, did you see what he got her? 
for Christmas. It doesn't look like spending less to me. Or, hey, I wonder how much that family vacation cost. There are kids in Rwanda who need homes. So I say that to say this, that like the worst thing that can happen if we walk away from here is to start critiquing and judging and, and, and pointing out the stuff in other people instead of pointing out the stuff. I don't think that's the way to go. I don't think that's the application. I, I, I certainly don't have a formula for you, but I think it may start with some prayer. It may start with maybe a conversation with, with your kids, your grandkids, with your family. How else are they going to, to know this or learn this or wrestle with this if we don't have the conversation with them, right? I mean, all the way back in Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah 55, why spend money on what does not satisfy? That's been around for thousands and thousands of years. Why? We know it doesn't satisfy. Why do we keep doing it? So you want, to, you want to do something rebellious? You want to be, do something subversive, countercultural this Christmas? Resist the empire of more. Spend less. And, and I'm not just talking about money here. Like we can spend less energy. We can spend less time, busyness, uh, criticism, less cranky words, less grumbling less me-first attitude that is prevalent in our culture. Anybody else having difficulty finding toilet paper again? What, what if we spent less time being consumers where we're in the middle, we're in the center, and instead directed some of those resources that God has put in our hands to bless people, to bless places all over the world? We're going to talk about that over the next couple weeks. I'm just, I'm just asking you, I guess I'm inviting you into uh, resisting, overfilling your plate, overfilling your glass, overcommitting your schedule, and overstuffing presents under the tree. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not getting anything from this. Like the church doesn't get anything from this. The money you don't spend on gifts and choose to give away in a few weeks does absolutely nothing for me or the staff or the church. It all goes out the door. So there's no personal gain for me here. I just want to invite you into thinking, prayerfully considering what it looks like to think about gift-giving, and spending a little bit different. Because my, my goal, my hope, my desire is that all of us together, even though we're not here together, but that all of us together, whether we have a little or whether we have a lot, we can lock arms in this moment, in this way, in the way that we spend, in the way that we give, and the, 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 the less time, the less energy, the less money, whatever that is, and we can declare together in the way we live our lives, Jesus is king, not Caesar, not Herod, not the empire of more, not consumerism, but Jesus. Jesus is king. And we can, we can worship fully by spending less. And when we do that, we remember that God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave his only son. That's where we'll go next week. So here's where we're going to end. We're going to end where we started.
okay? My soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. We're going to take our cue from Mary today as we end this, okay? Why, why, why does my soul magnify the Lord? Well, because he's done great things for us. He's done great things for us. And, and I baked a little bit of time in here at the end for us to do this. And, and I got I to gotta be honest with you, I don't know if this is going to translate online like it would if, if we were all together. So I'm taking a little bit of a risk here. I'm taking a little bit of a flyer and, and just asking you for maybe just a couple moments to, to, to stop and risk a couple possibly awkward moments before we go back into the craziness, okay? Asking you to spend less energy, less volume, less pace, um, just, just to spend less anxiety just for a minute here at the end, okay? These closing moments may be the most rebellious thing you do all week long. So I'm just asking you to hang with me here, okay? I'm not getting paid by the minute. <laughs> I, just, I just want you to experience this, okay? And I'm actually gonna take my cue from Mr. Rogers. Um, I'm actually stealing something from Mr. Rogers. He's, he's no longer with us, uh, but he's kind of made a little bit of a comeback over the last couple of years with some documentaries and a Tom Hanks movie. Um, but he, he stood before um, the Emmy crowd. He was, he was receiving his Lifetime Achievement Award. And here, here he is. Here's this, this humble, this meek, this mild guy standing in front of a bunch of Hollywood elites, many of whom lived in the empire of more, right? And he, and he said to them for 10 seconds, just 10 seconds, I want you to think about the people in your life that helped you get to this place in your life. The people who invested in you, the people who loved you, the people who gave you your first whatever, I just want you to think about that for 10 seconds. And he, and he told them, don't worry about the time. I'll keep the time. I just want you to think about those people in your life for 10 seconds. So I'm going to steal from Mr. Rogers, and I'm going to ask you to do that for 10 seconds. I want you to think about the people in your life who have helped you get to this point in your life. 10 seconds. Ready? barely get started with 10 seconds. I get that. That's okay. If you want to keep going in that direction, you can feel free to. If you're someone who believes that God actually hears your prayers, maybe you want to spend a couple minutes thanking God for them. I believe he'll hear those prayers. For others of you, maybe you want to take your phone out if you don't have it all ready and just start a text to one of those individuals that you thought of. Hey, I'm at the end of my church service here and I just want you to know I'm so grateful for the way that you've invested in my life. I think it could be a really cool thing. These little text messages hit like raindrops all over Topeka. Some of you, um, when I say amen here in a minute and the feed goes away, you may need to look at one of the individuals in the room there with you right now and, and thank them for how they've invested in you, for how they've loved you, for how they've served you, maybe even pray a prayer of blessing over them in that moment. Maybe 
Maybe you need to look at somebody sitting in the room with you right now after we're done here and say to them, this ends now. I'm not going to spend any more precious energy on, on resentment, on anger, on whatever. It ends now. That could be a holy moment. Some of you, you're just going to want to read the scriptures that we're going to put on the screen here in a minute and just kind of let it soak. Just read it, pray it, hear it in your own mind, hear it as you speak it out loud. But just pause. Just spend less energy and mental focus and whatever, whatever you brought into this, spend less of it for just a few minutes. I, I got to be honest, I'm not very good at this. <laughs> I'm not. And truthfully, if you ask my wife and my kids when I'm not very good at it, I get cranky and irritable because I, ju I just get sucked into this. But then I stop. I pause and I remember that God so loved the world that he gave. And then joy and laughter and peace and grace, maybe even worship comes back into play. That's what I want for you. So I'm just going to pray. You do what you feel like God is leading you to do. Maybe you just sit and rest in some of this scripture and then we'll be done. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hope to see you next week. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, thank you for your indescribable gift. This gift, grace, this gift of your son. We already, we already sang about it, that, that you came to be with us. You didn't send us another list of rules. You didn't send us a, a, a get your life better track. You, you came, you're with us. We believe you're still with us today. And Jesus, in this moment, my simple prayer is that we would be people who are with you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in, in all these different places that we find ourselves. God, would you encourage, would you challenge, would you lead your church through the power of your Holy Spirit? And we'll obey. I ask this, I pray this all in Jesus' name.